Welcome once again to Cherry Beckert's technology podcast series, exploring how technology companies can get started working with the federal government and how to do so successfully. Today, we're joined once again with Craig Hunter and Eric Poppy, two members of Cherry Beckert's government contracting group. Craig and Eric are going to talk about how to stay compliant with the government as your technology company continues to grow and win more contracts. Please enjoy this conversation. Thank you, Maggie and Eric. Great to have you again with me here today. In our last podcast, we, you mentioned the approved accounting system and the, and the treatment of different types of costs. So picking up right there, um, can we kick off with that? Yeah, happy to. And, and Craig, it's great to join you again talking about um, you know getting into government contracting if you're a technology company. And like you mentioned last time, we talked about how um, there are a lot of different compliance requirements. If you, depending on that contract type, fixed price, time material, or cost plus, and you know what's that big cultural hurdle of timekeeping if you're doing work with the government, um, and drilling down from there, and you know just kind of as you mentioned, starting off with the accounting system, um, those contract types are really really help drive what you as a company might have to um, uh, you know implement or start to track or uh, when it comes to reporting accounting and compliance uh, requirements and if you have a tnm contract or cost plus contract really flexibly priced contract how the government labels it um, you are supposed to have your accounting system is supposed to be set up in a way that meets the criteria of what the government expects you to be able to do to uh, properly accumulate allocate and um, uh, accumulate and allocate costs and bill costs to the government for these contracts. So, um, in a cost, if you have a cost reimbursable contract or a TNM contract, um, you will at, at some point have the requirement to have an approved accounting system. Um, and when we talk about accounting systems from a GovCon standpoint, we're not talking about you know just the ERP system. We're not talking about NetSuite or QuickBooks or um, you know. Oracle or whatever you use as your accounting system, but we're talking about the the system, the people, the processes, the controls, the training. You know, kind of think of it as uh, the the, the a, if you think of the accounting system as a full wheel, each spoke of the wheel is a different piece of that training, compliance, ethics, accounting, accumulation, GL control, all of that, and the uh, requirements that the government puts out hits on all those different topics. Um, so if you're just getting into work with the federal government, you want a cost plus contract or you're about to win, you might be asked to um, get an approved accounting system by either being audited by the government or having a third party. And those criteria is based off of something called the SF-1408, which is the pre-award accounting system survey. This is backed up from a FAR clause, Federal Acquisition Regulation Clause as well. So when we think of accounting systems, um, you know, the items that you have to really consider to be compliant is, you know, identifying direct cost versus indirect cost, um, having a timekeeping system that properly tracks contract costs and non-contract costs, the appropriate cost objective, or like think of it as home for that labor, um, billing appropriately and being able to show cumulative build amount to contracts and, cl and clients identifying unallowables and removing unallowables from any potential claim to government, and then being able to track um, uh, 
contract funding and costs appropriately for that award and be able to show that. And then lastly, be per gap. Right. So I know that was a, a lot that I just went through there. <laughs> a lot that you address. So I've seen a number of companies where they have QuickBooks and they, you know, looking at government contracting, they say, well, my, my system is super simple being QuickBooks. And then they, they think it's not going to be a system that can be compliant. But we can and uh, companies can put certain, you know, um, processes in place such that QuickBooks could be a compliant system and could pass the, the government audit. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So um, you can, depending on your system, if you're using QuickBooks Online or if you're using a desktop version, um, there are different features that you can use within the system and also use without outside the system. Use be more manual in in, in nature. Um, you know, using Excel spreadsheets for rate calculations and etc. That you can use and implement to become compliant and track appropriately to to hit those requirements. There are a lot of third-party tools too, and apps and bolt-ons to QuickBooks that you can put on um, that help to track that compliance piece as well. Uh, really, from a QuickBooks standpoint, and if you're just getting into, uh, you know, even if you're on a different system, not QuickBooks, but you're not set up for government contracting, it really comes down to being able to track contract cost and be, get down to that level of detail and the contract can be broken up into contract line items, and that could be a requirement as well to track costs to that level and hit, you know, be able to track materials, labor, travel, other direct costs, and so on, all to that contract line item level that rolls up into the contract. So it's really just a very detailed project cost accounting system is a lot of these re reporting requirements. Right, and you mentioned direct versus indirect costs. So just touching on that, Briefly, you know, direct costs being those costs that are specific to a particular contract or contract line item, and um, indirect costs being those costs that perhaps benefit a, a pool of contracts or just the general and administrative part of the, the company as a whole. Typically, indirect costs would be um, at a simple level, there would be three pools. There'd be fringe costs, which are costs of you know, supporting the payroll, there would be overhead costs and and GNA costs. And the key yep. is that the company really understands all their costs as they're putting them into the system because the government co could ultimately be be auditing that. So but they want to make sure any costs that are going to a particular contract line are indeed um, valid contract costs, direct, you know, and then also indirect, right? Yeah, you nailed it. Um, direct costs being contractor program specific costs um, the we you know it's costs that support a single cost objective so the way to think of it is if you got rid of that contract got rid of that program um, or internal project too that cost would not occur um, indirect costs support a number of different cost objectives so like you said fringe being benefits overhead supporting the revenue generating activities or gna supporting the organization as a whole so um, and if you removed a couple of those programs, you would still incur that like recruiting cost because it's still you still have to function or so. Yeah. You, yep, that's correct. Good. And Eric, also you mentioned allowable and unallowable costs. So could you at a at a high level maybe give some examples of those costs that are unallowable and unallowable being that the government is saying, you know, these costs are incurred by the company, but we're not going to reimburse you for these or allow you to make any kind of markup on these types of costs, right? Yeah, happy to. Um, and this is another 
there's definitely some gray area in this too. So the federal acquisition, federal acquisition regulations, the FAR Part 31 is the cost principles for commercial organizations. And there they list these different types of buckets of cost, public relations as an example, or marketing, um, legal, professional fees, entertainment as just a few examples, as types of costs that could be allowable or unallowable. Um, and kind of the rule of thumb is, and you have two levels of this, you have expressly unallowable. These are the things that are never allowed to be billed to the government and claimed. Um, they are still, can still be considered normal business expenses from a commercial standpoint, um, like, a like a company party um, and where, where there might be alcohol served. Um, but from a billing standpoint, you can't try to pass those on to the government. So you have to identify that and segregate it out of your, um, your claim. So kind of rule of thumb, anything fun can't bill to the government. Um, uh, so, you know, if you're taking a, a potential client out to a, you know, we're in the D.C. area to a Washington Nationals game. You can't take those tickets and, you know, put them in as a G&A entertainment cost, no alcohol, um, no uh, things like that. Lobbying costs you can't bill. Um, there's some public relations and marketing that you can't bill and claim. Um, but FAR Part 31 gives examples of what you can push in claim that is allowable and other examples that are definitely not allowable um, that you cannot push through. Right. So while they're valid costs of doing business, the government just does not recognize them such that they'll they'll reimburse. Cor correct. And one thing just to add, this is this is different than IRS reporting. So, right. the, you know, these are not one for one. Right, so we've got in. So let's assume we've got in all our costs, Eric, into our system. We've, you know, allocated them direct and indirect. Now, when it comes to billing or invoicing the government, how does that differ from a commercial practice? You know, that's a great question. And going back to actually our last podcast that we talked about, where understanding your terms of the contract itself, the contract will be very specific on what you, how you need to bill. Um, and depending on the contract and that contract type, typically you need to be showing at a contract level and potentially a CLIN level. So broken down in more detail, show your direct cost. You have to show your indirect costs that are applied to those direct costs. You need to show the hours that were worked um, and then, then feed to have your total amount that you're billing. So that's a cost reimbursable for um uh, for cumulative for a TNM, typically you have you always have to show the labor rates, show the hours, show any materials. Um, but typically, it's at a lower level of detail than what you might see at a commercial organization. You might also have to put other things on the invoice, like period of performance, funding, you know, funding spent, um, uh, cumulative build to date, um, and the rates to the indirect rates. So. But a lot of this goes back to what's required for the contract itself, because there it will tell you what level of detail you have to bill at. Good. So when we're billing and, and working with the government, what are the people on the government side or, or the, the levels or the titles of people that we're going to be working with on, on a regular basis as we um, work through this contract? Um. So... In your contract, it will list, you know, the, the person with all the decision power is the contracting officer in the end. They're the ones that, you know, give thumbs up, down, sign modifications, approve changes in key personnel. Um, they're the ones with the power. Um, with there, they might have, you might have folks, uh, contracting officer, technical representative, 
or another uh, or other folks who support that contracting officer. They're the ones that are without the contracting officer, though, is the one with decision making power. You have some support um, from DCAA and DCMA um, who might perform audits or reviews for a company uh, on a company and then give their reports to that contracting officer. But the contracting officer is really the one that you should really be trying to develop relationships with. And they're the ones with the overarching power um, to approve your system, so, you know, sign modifications, award the contracts, and interpret whatever DCAA or any other audit findings have and make a decision on it. So based on what you said earlier about unallowable costs, we, we to to grow the relationship, we can't buy them a, buy, a bottle of wine, right? To no. help them. <laughs> as much as we would want to, and as much as fun as it could be, uh, no, sadly. Right. Eric, you mentioned you know, types of contracts and what, what individuals are buying. So as we wrap up and close down this session, one of the items that certainly on te with technology companies they're concerned about is, you know, you know, the commerciality and the and the intellectual property. And and at any point is that going to go across to the government? So we this is a, a bigger topic in of itself. So um, I encourage everyone to join us for our next and fifth podcast in the series to as we will address that intellectual property and commerciality. So Eric, um, thank you so much for your input and, and, and time and um, thank you very much everyone.